Open your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 1, page uh, 983, the Bibles you find around you. Uh, a number of weeks ago, we started a sermon series, uh, Ryan started a sermon series on Colossians, and uh, we're, we're looking at this letter, and uh, as you can see, the title for the whole letter is Lord of Everything, Lord of Everything. And uh, we're looking now this, uh, this morning at verses uh, 15 through 20, Colossians 1, 15 through 20. And um, I'll begin at verse 15 here. He, referring to Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him and for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. God's word for us this morning. Before I uh, go any further, let me just open with a word of prayer. Dear Father, thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, your, your word is life. And uh, Father God, we, we are so honored and privileged to be able to open your word, to, to hear your word. And we pray now with your spirit, that your spirit, spirit of the living God, that you will um, just truly give us ears to hear what you would want to say to us. In your name we pray, amen. I can can remember a number of years ago when we as a family would go swimming uh, to the ocean or to a lake and where we would say, Tony and I, to our children, don't go in too deep, don't go in too far, that could be dangerous, you know, be careful. In Colossians 1, verse 15 through 18, the Apostle Paul launches into some very deep, deep theology. It's deep, it's weighty. One of the the fears or challenges that we have as pastors when when we have a passage like this, as we we walk into it, wade into this passage, am I, you know, do we go in too far? How deep do we go? And, And if we go in too deep, will we lose people? Mercy, now we need to go deep, but how deep and how long do we stay there? And that's our challenge this morning with this passage. Some people would say one of the the most challenging but most uplifting paragraphs, chapters, verses in in Scripture. And so um, I don't want to lose. I'll do my best not to lose anyone this morning. The question that I would like to share with you this morning is this. Is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough? You know, when when it comes to the gospel message, when it comes to salvation, when it comes to grace and grace alone, is Jesus Christ adequate? Is he sufficient? Or do I need to add something to the gospel? 
Do I need to add something to the gospel? And this question is what really lies behind this passage, the writing of this, this letter. Paul doesn't state the heresy by name, but, but we have hints of it here in this book, in this letter. We look at chapter 2. We can read a number of verses there. Chapter 2, verse 8. You, you, you have this word here. So, he says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to the human tradition, according to the elementary spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Verse 16, down to 16, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to festival or a new moon or Sabbath. Those are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by their sensual mind. Verse 20, if Christ, if with Christ you died to the elementary spirits of the world, why is it? If you were still alive in the world, you submit to regulations. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. And so, and so what we have here, and most theologians will say this, what we have here in this letter at this church is that there is someone or a group of individuals insisting, saying that the gospel of Jesus is here, but you need to add something to it. It's not quite complete. It's Jesus plus something. It's Jesus plus something. It's the gospel of grace and a certain knowledge or philosophy. We can think of the movie... Uh, the Da Vinci Code, starring Tom Hanks. You know, someone, someone who, who is in the know, who has special knowledge, is able to decode the scriptures, the mysteries of the Bible. They're the ones in the know. And they need to let the rest of us know what that is. It's the gospel plus the worship of angels, as Paul mentions here in chapter 2. It's the gospel plus certain diets, and I'm making this up. Maybe it's the Atkins, Bash, maybe TLC, maybe Weight Washers. We're not sure, but it's certain diets here. It's the gospel of grace plus certain ceremonies, like washing your hands in a certain way. Wearing the right clothing or the robes, playing the right instruments in worship. It's, it's, it's doing the right theological disciplines and doing them correctly as they see fit or as they think. And that's really the key here behind this here in their thinking. If you don't do these things or believe these things as we do, you're incomplete. You're, you're, you're still not there. Your, your faith is not complete yet. Now, it's remarkable how the Apostle Paul answers or, 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 or responds to this heresy. He lifts up Jesus Christ. We have here a very high Christology, verses 15 through 20. He lifts up Jesus. He, he doesn't go point by point and address each heresy he lifts up Jesus as Lord. It's as if he says, you know, a, 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 good, a good defense is a good offense. And, and so 
He, he lifts up the Lord Jesus. He, he gives good, good theology, positive theology on Jesus Christ. And in the process, Paul writes one of the most fascinating paragraphs we have in Scripture on the person and work of Jesus Christ. And as I said earlier, it's heavy and it's weighty. But let's dive in. Let's dive in. Now, as we, uh, as we look at verses 15 through 20, I need to say that, that some call this a poem or a song that originated in the early church, a time of, time of Paul. And, and Paul is using some of the words, some of the, the lyrics, the, the lines, the words into this letter here. This is most likely true, although we're, we're, we're not certain, but it sure does sound good. And so uh, let's just go to verses uh, 1 through uh, 12 through 20 at this time. So the question is, is Jesus enough? And Paul, Paul responds with a resounding yes and amen. Jesus is enough. First of all, verses 15 through 18, the supremacy of Christ. The supremacy of Christ. Interesting, he says here, when we think of the supremacy we look at his divinity. He is the image of the invisible God. Again, as we look through this paragraph, every word seems, every line is just loaded, pregnant with meaning. He is the image of the invisible God. In Jesus, we see who God is. And that's a very important little phrase, if you can remember that. In Jesus, we see who God is. Hebrews 1, verse 3 he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. John 1, the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God the holy God, and now this is said about Jesus, the word, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. In Jesus, we see who God is, his supremacy. The supremacy, we see in his rank, the next little phrase. It says there, the firstborn of all creation. Now that word firstborn has caused quite a bit of confusion in the church. Way back in the fourth century, there the Her Arian heresy, where there was a there was a person Arian who did not believe in the Trinity, uh, one God and three persons, and believed that Jesus was born, created, and so um, uh, we we pick it up, we move ahead just a number of years ago, a century ago or more, we think of the Jehovah Witnesses that have have picked up that same line of thought. Really, there's nothing new under the sun. But really, if you look at this word, and it's important to look at this word for a bit, firstborn, in, it's not referring to time or sequence as if someone is born in space and time. The, the Hebrew language is a figure of speech referring to rank, supremacy, status. We, we think of... Uh, Exodus 4, verse 22, God says to Moses, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. Interesting phrase. 
what, what God is saying is that Israel has special, a special rank, a relationship to Father God, a special status. Psalm 89, verse 27, Paul, God refers to, to King David with, and I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Again here, the, the phrase firstborn refers to rank, to privilege, um, to first place. And so here, Jesus outranks, that's what, what, what Paul is referring to here, outranks all things in and over creation. His supremacy in creation. We read, verse 16, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. The phrase all things occurs five times in these verses. Remarkable. It's comprehensive, all-inclusive, wide-ranging. Not a square inch of the universe is outside of, of Christ's realm. All things were created for him and by him and by him or through him and for him. Notice the words for him. There's a lot of theology in that little phrase. Creation has a purpose. Creation has, has meaning. Its purpose is Jesus, creator, the creator itself. Creation itself reflects the creator. And, and, and the aim of creation is to glorify Jesus. Interesting how Paul is saying this about the God-man Jesus Christ. And in verse 17 we read, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All things hold together. He sustains and upholds the universe. We, we think of the word uh, implode. And per perhaps you've, you've uh, seen the video media of where a building will implode on itself. And there are many people who say from this verse, that, that, that Jesus sustains and upholds the universe, and without his presence, without him sustaining the universe, the earth would implode on itself. Again, uh, we, very deep and weighty here, we think of his supremacy in the church. It just continues here. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. The word head can refer to authority or leadership, but it also has the idea of source. Head as the source. It says here, what, what Paul is saying here is that, that, that Jesus is the source, the lifeblood, the life and the resurrection, the firstborn from the dead, the life and the resurrection, the author of the new creation in Christ. He is the creator of the universe, but through his death and resurrection, he brings a new creation, new life. If any person's in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17, he's a new creation. And so this Jesus is the author, the supreme supremacy over the church. He gives it its life, the resurrection and life. 
And so what's the conclusion here <laughs> in, in this little section? The conclusion, well, well, well Paul is saying that, that Jesus really is God himself, and he has the highest rank, highest authority, highest power in the universe. Why would we need or look for someone else or to someone else? So the supremacy of Christ. But secondly now, the sufficiency of Christ. Verses 19 through 20. In his person, God with us. God with us. In verse 19, it says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Boy, think about that for a bit. In him... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Colossians 2, verse 9, we have similar words. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Hmm. Nothing, interesting enough, nothing of God's fullness is lacking in God, in Jesus, excuse me. Nothing of God's fullness is lacking in Christ. The fullness of God, God himself, his attributes, all that he is, is found in Jesus. He is fully adequate. No need for supplements, no need for additions. He is God with us, God himself. The sufficiency of Christ, God with us, but also in his work, God for us. Notice verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. What's implied here in these verses, what's implied here is that the creation, God's creation became marred and spoiled and broken. However, Christ, God himself, came near, drew near to reconcile and restore. Now, four things about this word reconcile, it's a big word. Again, in these verses, every word, every phrase seems to be loaded of theological content. Reconciliation. Reconciliation is God's work. God took the initiative to come to restore. The Bible, the story of the Bible story is, is not man pursuing God. It's God pursuing creation, us. Secondly, reconciliation has been accomplished. Thinking of the words here, making peace. The words making peace by the blood of the cross point back to Good Friday. Atonement for sin had to be made. Atonement for sin had to be made. Relationships were broken. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. And so Jesus, Jesus, uh, took our sin upon himself, he paid the debt, he appeased the wrath of God, and made peace between us. Romans 5, verse 1. It says here very clearly, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Just to unpack that a bit. Therefore, since we've been justified, justified is a legal term, meaning declared not guilty, since we have been declared not guilty through faith in Christ, not in our own accomplishments, since we have been declared not guilty through faith, 
we have peace, the forgiveness of sins, adoption into God's family with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a mouthful. It's deep. It's, it's weighty. But it's so profound. It's so profound. Christ made peace. We have peace with God the Father. Reconciliation, thirdly, was achieved at the cross. I'm thinking of the words here, by blood, by the blood of the cross, speaks of sacrifice. The heart of the Christian message is that we preach Christ and been crucified. The heart of the Christian message is Jesus making atonement. We, we do believe and we do teach that Jesus was a great example, that he was a great moral example, a great teacher. Um, but he's more than just a moral example. He's more than just a, 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 someone to follow. The Bible says, the gospel says that Jesus um, died on the cross. And so, so the cross continually reminds us that he broke his body, he shed his blood for the complete remission of our sins. He did something for us that we were not able to do for ourselves. He took our sin upon himself and then paid the debt to set us free. And so the power of the gospel is Christ and him crucified. And fourthly, reconciliation is really comprehensive. And this is, this is really mind-boggling, this verse here. It says in verse 20 that, that, that he reconciled all things and that he would reconcile all things through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. Reconciliation, its scope is universal. No person, thing lies outside the scope of his reconciling work. The thought here is total restoration. Again, some very, very big thoughts here this morning in these verses. We, we think of the gospel story. We, we think of, and it's here somewhere, and we think of this um, this thought of the Bible, and we think of the, the scriptures itself, and we, we think of cliff notes, if we can bring the whole scripture down to, to something um, tangible or something easy for us to understand, we think of the story, a little pamphlet that we have, encourage you to take one with you. The story, and the whole gospel story, the whole Bible story is creation, fall, rescue, or redemption, and then restoration. The gospel story is not that we personally will just be restored and then have a relationship with God in heaven. The gospel story, reconciliation, God will reconcile all things, earth and in heaven. The whole earth will be reconciled. Restoration, final restoration. It's, it's powerful. And so that's the aim that... That, um, that Jesus has, that God has through Christ. And so we come to this point. Jesus is enough. Conclusion here. The one who has the highest rank in the universe was willing to draw near to be the one perfect sacrifice for sin to reconcile us to the Father, to the Son. Salvation is found in no one else Paul is saying, maybe he's even singing, my, what a savior. What a savior. Why look elsewhere? Why look elsewhere? 
And so here's the application now. The application, just a few thoughts here concerning application. First of all, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord, not Caesar, not Putin, not Trump, not Kim, not a political party. Jesus is Lord of the universe. Very important for us to hear that once again. Our allegiance as believers in Christ belongs to him, to him alone. And this creed, Jesus is Lord, very early church creed. Many believe it's the first creed in the early church. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. It's very comprehensive. And if he's the Lord of the universe, that, 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 that means that he's Lord over all, including me. If he's the Lord of the universe, he's Lord over us, over me. And so that's, that's the question here this morning. If he's Lord over the whole universe, am I willing to bow my knee to King Jesus, to Lord Jesus in every area of my life? When it comes to my, my work, when it comes to vocation, when it comes to my language, when it comes to my time, when it comes to my relationships, my marriage, my parenting, my home, did I mention money, my sexuality? Am, am I, am I, do, do I see him as Lord? Am I willing to take everything of life and bring it before him and bow my knee be subject to the Lord. And so I would like us just to think about that for a few moments. Maybe just a little pregnant pause here. <laughs> but as I went through that list, is, is there something in your life, is there something that you're just kind of holding on to, that you're resisting to, to bring under the Lordship of Jesus Christ? You're just holding on. Somehow I'm in control. Sometime I, something I have to do. And you're not willing to bring that to the Lord. What would that be? Jesus is Lord. And he's good. And he's kind. He's for you, not against you. And just think that whatever you may be holding on to, maybe it's even an addiction whatever it may be, to think that I can lay that at the foot of the cross. He is Lord. And in Christ, he can bring healing, health, life, that area in my life. Jesus is Lord. Secondly here, creation has meaning and purpose. We, we are not just dust in the wind, we are not just a drop of rain in an endless sea. Not at all. God is sovereign. It's remarkable. God is sovereign, and he's moving history history to an appointed end. I love the title of this song, He Has the Whole World in His Hands. I mean, as Christian people, that's quite the testimony. We want to give a testimony, an affirmation of faith, to say we believe God has the whole world in his hands. Creation has meaning and purpose. It is in God's hands, and it's moving forward to his plan. 
Victory in the cross. Another application here. I, I just find this unique how Paul mentions this in verse 20, the, the cross. In Colossians 2, verse 13, it's interesting how Paul, many of his letters, he mentions thoughts, words, ideas, thoughts, theology in his first opening paragraph or two, and later on picks up some of the very same themes. Colossians 2, 13 and following, he forgave us our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made, here we go, he made a spectacle, public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Interesting. The enemies of Jesus thought they won. But at that point on the cross, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. Sin, death, and hell were defeated on the cross. The most decisive and important battle in history has already been fought, the cross. We... we, we know the most decisive battle is fought. He won. So there's victory in the cross for believers. Fourthly here, comfort for saints. I, I, I like this thought. If, if Christ sustains the entire universe, ponder that. If Christ sustains and upholds the entire universe, then Christ can sustain individual believers. Is that true? If the Savior we serve and pray to, the God that we serve, upholds the universe, obviously he can sustain and take care of me. If, 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 the, if Christ sustains the universe and now in him I am a child adopted into his family, will he not sustain and take care of me? Mercy me, why do I worry? I catch myself. Why do I fret at times? Why, why fill with anxiety? If, if Father God can, can feed the birds of the air, will he not much more take care of you and provide for you, O oh, you of little faith? Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. If God again sustains, Christ sustains the universe, he will provide and uphold and sustain us. And then the last thought here is doxology, doxology. And, um, you know, all good theology always leads to doxology, to praise, to thanksgiving, and to worship. And, and so that's what we have here. Actually, in Colossians chapter 1, this, this paragraph, this, these verses, many believe are really part of the very first opening section. And so what we have here in this part, the introduction, we have here is praise and thanksgiving. And so it's a very good place for us to start and for us to end, isn't it? Now, now again, hopefully, we, we went very deep, and mercy me, a lot of theological terms were, were, were said this morning. But, but the thought here is that that this theology is rich. We have a God. We have a God who created the universe and a God who really cares about us. A God who, who, who provides for us. 
a, a God who saw that we went astray, but a God who pursued us to reconcile himself to, us to himself. As I said, he did something for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. And so, so all of life really is P.S. Thank you, Lord, for what you have done for us. Now I want to live my life for you. I want my life to be a praise because of your grace and goodness. I don't need to look elsewhere. I don't need to go sideways and look for something else. You are sufficient. You are my Lord and God. And so I want to leave you with this assignment, a little assignment this morning. Before the day is over, if, if possible, think of five reasons. Think of five reasons. You might want to write them down. But think of five reasons to thank God for who he is and for what he has done. Once again, maybe on the top of the page, you'll be able to write, my, what a savior. And then to write your reasons. To say, thank you, God, for who you are and for what you've done. And maybe, if some of you are able, maybe even sing a song. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, it really amazes me. It amazes us, I do, after reading this passage and, and studying this passage. It amazes me how easily I can still go sideways to think that, that there's something out there that I need that I can't find it in you, that you're not sufficient, that you're not adequate. I need to go sideways to find my fulfillment, my completeness. Oh, Father, as a, as, as a church, even as a pastor of the church, we want to confess that to you and, and say, Lord, forgive us for going sideways so often. You are our all in all and we can come to the foot of the cross and we can say thank you Lord for what you have done for us. You are sufficient. You're one complete perfect sacrifice on the cross. You said on the cross it is finished. You paid the price. We don't need to look elsewhere. We just need to humbly come to you and ask for your forgiveness and ask you to be the center of our lives. Oh, Lord, help us to fix our eyes on you, the author, the perfecter of our faith. Oh, what a Savior. Amen. One of the joys that we have as a, as a church is that we celebrate the Lord's Supper, Supper every Sunday. And, and again, a little bit with my message, Christ is our center. Christ is our center. The center of Christianity is, is Christ himself. And what he did for us on the cross, we preach Christ and him crucified. Jesus took our sin upon himself. He broke his body, shed his blood for the complete remission of our sins. As I said, he did something for us that we were not able to do for ourselves. He sought us out and he gave us life. Took our sin upon himself, paid the debt. And so we have the, the privilege of coming forward once again to say thank you. In many ways, the, the Lord's Supper is thanksgiving. To say thank you, Lord, for what you did for me.
for what you did for me. And so um, we, we are able to celebrate the Lord's Supper. If you are a believer in Christ, you're more than willing, more than willing, you're more than free to, to come forward and celebrate with us. If you are not a believer in Christ, you're still exploring the Christian faith, well, you're not alone. Many of us have been there at one time in our lives. We encourage you to look at the prayers you find in city life. But really, this is, this is for believers in Christ. Those who come forward are saying, yes, I believe in Jesus and what he did for me. He is Lord. He is Lord, the Lord of creation and Lord of my life. We will uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper at this time. We'll have two, um, uh, four people up front here. And uh, you break off some bread, dip it in the cup, and then there's some gluten-free bread in the center if that's what you would need.